handcrafted exotic blend teas at the lowest shipping cost anywhere. Hi, I'm CJ, owner of the Emerald Coast Tea Company. We ship our premium gourmet blends with Sindel, offering you the lowest shipping prices anywhere, while also being carbon neutral. Excellent tea at the right price. Check us out at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. No fear. No political correctness. No wokeism. You're listening to Underground USA. Thanks for downloading and listening. My name is Frank Salvato. In recent days, Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy has made some very dangerous statements for someone in his position. He is speaking the truth, and the establishment, deep state political apparatus, doesn't like it. How can they? They hated Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump for the same thing. This is not an endorsement. It's still too early in the process to make an intelligent statement of support. But each point Ramaswamy makes is something I can wholeheartedly agree with. In fact, I've been championing his stance on two of the issues he addresses for decades. In these four clips, Ramaswamy hits on the media's support for the institutional racism false narrative, the selective support of Ukraine as farce in the realm of good versus evil, calling for the RNC's failures in recent federal elections and Rona McDaniel's resignation, and reforming the electoral process by hobbling super PACs. In this clip, Ramaswamy answers a mainstream media reporter's question on whether he condemns white supremacy, a stupid question that wastes nothing but time. His response is pointed and frank. Not only does he expose the disingenuousness of the question, but he also points the finger of culpability at the media for using the false narrative as a fulcrum in its ongoing quest to keep our nation divided. As Ramaswamy is of Indian descent, it's hard for race baiters like Al Sharpton, Ibrahim X. Kendi, Robin D'Angelo, and Mark Lamont Hill to level the overused and deceitful charge of racism at Ramaswamy. Considering the argument Ramaswamy made in his answer to the reporter, any charge of racism would open the door for a perfect example of bald-faced hypocrisy. You condemn white supremacy and white nationalism? I mean, what this kind of, who are you with? Which, Washington, Washington Post. Post. Washington Post, all right, so, <laughs> potato, potato, okay. Of course, I condemn any form of vicious racial discrimination in this country, but I think that the presumption of your question is fundamentally based on a falsehood that that really is the main form of racial discrimination we see in this country today. Institutionalized racism is institutionalized racial discrimination that we see that doesn't come from somehow discriminating against people on the basis of some tenet of white supremacy. It's based on affirmative action. It's based on actually discriminating against people on the color of their skin in a way that's actually institutionalized today. Was there a point in our history, at points in our prior national history, where there have been vicious forms of anti-black or anti-brown discrimination throughout this country after the Civil War and otherwise? Yes. 
but you're looking in the rearview mirror and using that to pose a question today that is so far removed from what the reality is in America today. This myth of white supremacy, the closest you can find is Juicy Smollett, where you all were actually speaking of trust in the media, jumping up and down over some false narrative. The best way you're able to find your best instance of white supremacy was a guy who was actually paying his other fellow people to be actually staging something that didn't happen. And so stop picking on this farce of some figment that exists at some infinitesimally small fringe of the American public today to open our eyes to the actual real threats that we face. And I think that it's frankly questions and framings like that that has caused the American public to lose all trust in the mainstream media, I'm sorry to say, for good reason. You didn't say that you condemn white supremacy, though. I'm not, I'm not going to recite some catechism for you. I'm against vicious racial discrimination in this country. So I'm not pledging allegiance to your new religion of modern wokeism, which absolutely fits, fits the test. I'm not going to bend the knee to your religion. I'm sorry. I'm not asking you to bend the knee to mine, and I'm not going to bend the knee to yours. But do I condemn vicious racial discrimination? Yes, I do. Am I going to play your silly game of gotcha? No, I'm not. And frankly, this is why people have lost trust. And I know you're going to go print the headline tomorrow. I already know this. We already know how your game works. Vivek Ramaswamy refuses to condemn white supremacy because you asked a stupid question. The reality is, I condemn vicious racial discrimination in this country, but the kind of vicious and systematic racial discrimination we see today is discrimination on the basis of race in a very different direction. You want to know what the best way is to end discrimination on the basis of race? Stop discriminating on the basis of race. Do that and we're going to move this country forward. And I don't care whether you're black or white or brown or anything in between. That's how we're going to unite this country. You people have been responsible for dividing this country to a breaking point, creating a projection of national division. I meet people from the south side of Chicago to meetings like this one of every shade of melanin, multiple from man to woman, doesn't make a difference, who are hungry for reviving unity in this country. And you with your catechism that you try to get to politicians to whatever fake headline you're going to print on the basis of this conversation tomorrow, that's what's dividing this country for a break to a breaking point. Shame on you. Look people in the eye and tell them what you've actually failed to tell them for the last five years. Own the accountability for your own failures as the media. That's how we rebuild trust in this country. And until then, I don't have a lot of patience to play the games. In this next clip, Ramaswamy gives it to Piers Morgan on the issue of whether or not he supports the continuation of aid, both militarily and financially, to Ukraine in its war with Russia. To make his point, Ramaswamy examples the 2020 Azerbaijani-Armenian conflict and points out in no uncertain terms that Ukraine is supported because it is the media's cause du jour, and that because the Azerbaijani-Armenian conflict was, in large part, about Christians, the media had no stomach for covering the story in any meaningful way. In a chiefly Christian country, as is the United States, 64% of Americans asked identified as Christian. You would think there would be at least a mention of the conflict in the mainstream media. Yet because the mainstream media controls the flow of information, an overwhelming majority of Americans didn't even know the conflict occurred. In his attempt to counter Ramaswamy, Morgan stumbles and deflects in the face of being presented with that counter-argument to Morgan's desire to pigeonhole Ramaswamy on the Ukrainian issue, and even goads Morgan into admitting that the United States has been used by the international community as a world police force. How How many hours of your show, or minutes, or seconds, have you dedicated to what Azerbaijan has done to Armenia and Nagorno-Karabakh on the different region on the other side of Caspian. 
Zero is probably the answer, just like every other major member of the media. Why? Because Ukraine has been as successful in selling this Pied Piper myth in the United States as Azerbaijan has. Yet what Azerbaijan just did in Nagorno-Karabakh over the same region, dating back to even September of this year, mm. pin drop silence. So if you're going to apply that standard, you would be applying it far more broadly. But applying your but standard as president of the United States seems my, quite- My standard is stay out of all. Because if you're in Ukraine for that reason, the United States would be in 10 other conflicts right now. Mm. And so you're selectively applying it, if I may say, Pierce, not even to the best example you could make, because you know Ukraine Church, you know is not Church, a paragon of you know democracy. Churchill's quote about crocodiles and appeasers, right? Well, that's applied selectively, analogizing some element of history as opposed to analyzing what the individual situation is. And so where is Azerbaijan Armenia? Why is that not part of the conversation? Just because the media has decided that that isn't what we're going to pay attention to, because it's not what the cool kids are talking about, likely because it's Christians at stake. Let's be honest about that. So this is a country in Ukraine that's gone after the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. This is a country where the regions of Russia that have been occupied, several of those provinces, Luhansk and Donetsk in particular, not even represented in the Ukrainian parliament. So the idea that this is some battle of good versus evil is a farce. And even if you're going to pick good versus evil, there's a lot other better examples to pick. And I'm principled to say that we should not be making those moral judgments for other people when my moral obligation is to the people of so the United have, States you, of America. But you have just made a moral judgment. You've actually said to an evil dictator, you can come and grab that land and keep it. No, that's that moral, presumes that it was moral, our job. That's that a moral presume, judgment? It presumes that it was our job to be able to say yes or no in the first place. That is not the job of the United States of America. The job of the United States Actually, of America is. is to be oh. strong and look after its own it citizens. It used to be. We have a different view. It used to be. Maybe from an out, you know, maybe you from know, looking from an outsider's perspective. This next clip features a blunt statement. Ramaswamy says what few people in the Republican Party and no elected Republican will say. The RNC is an ineffective, it's my turn, power club that hates outsiders settles for mediocrity, and loses elections. I've been calling for Rona McDaniel's resignation, or firing, for years. She has failed to capture and hold the House and the Senate, and even though she tried to steal some of the spotlight, had very little to do with Donald Trump's win in 2016. So what has she done besides prove to the rank-and-file GOP that she knows how to purchase expensive furniture? She's done nothing. She's occupied a position attained through nepotism. She is Mitt Romney's niece and done nothing to advance the achievements of the Republican Party. Swami, let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you, uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. It was a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? 
They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Christian, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross. This is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Mr. Ramos, and they're going to rig this election. Your time is accountability. up. Let me turn That's to Governor, Governor Christie. Why? In this final clip, Ramaswamy rightfully takes issue with the animal that is the super PAC. While Republicans celebrated the Citizens United versus FEC verdict in 2010, the fact of the matter is this. Super PACs are a way for the elite and the wealthy to have more influence in elections than the average citizen. I've written about this before. If the federal government is going to place limits on what an individual can give to any one candidate, then there should be a low threshold limit established for super PACs. The alternative to that would be to reverse the Citizens United ruling. With Citizens United, the floodgates to dark money were opened in the United States. As 501c4 organizations don't have to register their donors, not only can corporations and unions donate unlimited amounts to organizations that spearhead political campaigns, but they financially fuel opposition research, which infamously produced the Steele dossier for Hillary Clinton in 2016, a pack of lies and fiction that no one has been tried for and which exists as arguably the worst case of election interference in United States history. You're told that there's limits on how much you can give to a campaign. $3,300, that's the limit for this primary to a presidential election. And you can also give $3,300 in the general election. That's a total of $6,600. That's a lot of money to most people in this country. But it's not enough to buy off a politician. And in fact, that's why the limit is set around exactly where it is. The whole purpose was to borrow the legal verbiage on this. It prevents a corrupting influence. That makes sense. Here's the part that doesn't make sense. Those rules actually aren't followed at all in practice, in substance, because this primary is being run by super PACs. What are super PACs? They're these independent entities, not the campaign, but independent entities where people can donate unlimited amounts of money, not just $3,300, but $33 million, $100 million. It doesn't matter. How does that work? Well, they say it's technically not part of the campaign. It's an independent entity. Okay, and that independent entity has a free speech right, a First Amendment right, they say. And you think a campaign has a First Amendment right too, but there's limits because they say there's a government interest. I believe there is in making sure there's no corruption. But the independent entity has a right to speak, even that that means supporting a candidate. That was the logic from 13 years ago. Well, the problem is that system has now been abused. Here's how things are working in this race. Those super PACs for Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or otherwise, that's where the lion's share of the campaign's functional money is being spent. The amount of money spent on propping up the candidate. And guess what? The super PAC donors that are donating to that, they're not anonymous. You know who they are. And the candidates know who they are. The candidates know who they are because they show up at fundraisers hosted by the super PAC. Huh. Those super PAC donors are also convening donor summits where they invite, sometimes in their words, summon certain candidates. 
So the candidates are absolutely subject to the corrupting influence of those entities. The Ron DeSantis campaign, this isn't his fault, it's just a fact, is being run mostly, most of the camp, most of the employees, the super PAC employees, really just functionally the campaign employees, the campaign is being run by the super PAC. Nikki Haley, most of that money getting spent, being spent by the super PAC, turns the politicians into circus monkeys. The super PAC donors will say, jump, the candidate will ask how high. That's the way the game is played. But the worst part about it is we adopt this farce for everybody else saying, no, no, it's $3,300 on maximum. But actually, if you're giving to the super PACs, you're really the one that the candidate is paying true attention to. As the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, it's just a fact. Every politician dances to the tune of their biggest donor. And yes, that includes donors to their super PACs. Just turns out, in my case, that biggest donor that I've put into the campaign is me. The exception for being able to give an unlimited amount to your own campaign comes from if you're the candidate yourself. And you know what? Is that a perfect system? No, it's not. But it's better than being somebody else's circus monkey. So yes, I'd rather be my biggest donor and declare independence from that. Whether that's the winning strategy or not, that belongs to the people of this country. But I believe we need to finally end the super PACs. This is a unifying idea. This used to be a left-wing idea. The reluctance to it comes from the Republican Party, but specifically the donors, the special interests in the Republican Party that want to make sure that voters aren't really the ones who get the final say. They want to have the final say in what these politicians do. Reform that system. End the super PACs. It's a winning issue for the integrity of the Republican Party. It's also a winning election issue to show that we're a party based on principle, not a party that the other side has long accused us of being a party that just props up puppets who are controlled by donor puppet masters. That's going to end on my watch, but it's going to take courage to do it. As I said, my support for these statements is not an endorsement of Ramaswamy, but it is acknowledgement that his candidacy should be taken seriously. He's hitting on some very sensitive topics and saying what needs to be said, saying what most don't have the courage to say that the days of screaming racist at someone you disagree with need to be over. The days of the United States being the sole respondent to the world's call for help must be over, and that the free nations of the world have to step up by joining in any effort. That Ronna McDaniel's days as RNC chairwoman need to come to an end, as do the days of the Rhino-Romney faction in U.S. politics. And the days of manipulative dark money in our election and political processes need to be curtailed. These are four points that no one, with the possible exception of Rona McDaniel, can argue against. Hmm. Maybe if the election results in Ramaswamy not heading to the White House, we can talk him into being the chairman of the RNC. Bueller? Bueller? If you like the podcast, subscribe, leave a comment, rate it if your platform lets you. Be sure to head on over to undergroundusa.com to sign up for our Substack, which comes straight to you, circumventing the censors and the fact checkers, because we both know that they're worthless, and that's been proven over time. And be sure to pick up your copy of Nullification, the case for decentralizing the federal government, available in Kindle and paperback over at amazon.com. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato, and we will be back right after this.
This podcast is a production of the Compass Point Group.